And here we are. Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes live stream podcast. Thank you for joining us today for a special midweek version on a Tuesday. We're normally on Saturdays, so we appreciate everyone tuning in. Um, today, we've got a twofer. Uh, we're going to chat writing, representation, client-manager relationships, and all that good stuff. Uh, our first guest is Marcus Gorg, a lit manager, producer, and co-founder of Heroes and Villains. He came to the U.S. via Germany and attended Art Center in Pasadena, where he received his B.A. in Photography and Cinematography. Marcus worked at agencies Broder, Curlin, Webb, Uffland, and ICM before running development at Prospect Pictures. In 2008, he co-founded management and production company Heroes and Villains, where he has an exciting client list of influential storytellers working in film and television. Speaking of those influential, exciting storytellers, uh, we're also joined today uh, by his client, J.J. Bailey, a TV writer, screenwriter, and producer who has an overall deal with Universal for projects across all platforms. He's attached to write and produce the first project under his deal at NBC entitled The Hunting Party. Uh, JJ has multiple projects picked up to pilot, including The Getaway at NBC, Echo at CBS, The International at Netflix, and on the feature side, he's developing a thriller, The Second Story, with escape artists, and they're out to directors. I'm running out of breath, so thank you both okay. for joining us today. Post Emmys. Post Emmys. And I didn't run into uh, Marcus there, although I wish I had. Good to see you both. Thank you for coming on. It's been a while, Marcus. Uh, I do want to touch base with JJ and get his background and, and get into all of that stuff. But I, Marcus, you've been on the podcast before. It's been a little while, but I did want to give us a little refresher. Uh, for those who haven't heard your first, your last podcast episode, uh, maybe you can give us a little bit about your background to sort of set the stage. Um, how did you get started in the industry and sort of what made you choose representation from your start studying cinematography and photography? So always interested in the visual arts, obviously. Uh, I was terrible at drawing, so photography was the next best thing at the time. Um, and uh, that really got me an introduction to filmmaking, um, storytelling, which I was super interested in and very excited about. <clears throat> From there, um, I decided to that probably being an assistant at an agency would be a smart thing if I wanted to learn the film business. That This was actually uh, suggested to me by one of the best teachers I've had in my life, Errol Gerson, who's been teaching uh, small business management at Art Center College of Design for over 40 years, where he's, where he's won many, many, many uh, Teacher of the Year awards uh, for good reason. The guy's just incredible. So um, it's, it's thanks to him that I found my way into the business via becoming an assistant um, in, the, in the industry um, and then worked work my way up. But becoming a manager really um, was, it, it, it was a circuitous was a way that I, that I got there. It wasn't a straight line for sure. Um, like so many people wanted to be a creative in the business. Uh, I wanted to write and direct and make movies and all that good stuff. Um, but while I was doing that grind for a number of years, I realized that I was super happy writing first drafts, but not super happy addressing notes. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> I, I settled on the next best thing, which is uh, giving notes. And um, that, that has worked out wonderfully um, because I still get to uh, scratch my creative itch um, working with incredibly talented people that are much better storytellers than I am. 
um, but I also get to help them elevate their projects uh, and their material and get it market ready uh, in, in an effort to to set it up. So becoming becoming a manager was was sort of like a natural thing that I settled into uh, after trying some of the other things, um, and that has worked out very well so far. Mm-hmm, indeed. And uh, speaking of uh, gifted, brilliant uh, storytellers, mm-hmm. client J.J. Bailey, writer, uh, producer, screenwriter. So, J.J., now this is your first time on the podcast. So we want to know about you and your background uh, in terms of like, how did you get started in the business? What made you want to be a, a, a filmmaker, a writer? Uh, what inspired you when you were were getting deciding to to journey into this unorthodox industry sure um well i actually so i went to college for business and economics interesting and had not really had any exposure to the arts like Mm -hmm. my entire family is very like science oriented and went to school to to basically go into commercial real estate i had a buddy back home in san diego whose dad had a very successful company and the plan was to go work for him after i graduated and it was a liberal arts school. And so I had to take classes outside my discipline. One of those, right, is an art class. And I was on the soccer team up there. So my, my uh, schedule was very truncated. So I put it off until my senior year. Senior year, I got a job doing commercial real estate in Santa Barbara as like, you know, just a runner, like an assistant. And at the same time, I was taking that art class, which just happened to be intro to theater. And this was about the most like waiting for Guffman thing you could possibly imagine. We had this professor who was super flamboyant and just boisterous and over the top. And like the first day of class, uh, we all gather in the in the, the theater and we're like literally sitting in the theater. And it's basically like 10 or 12 freshman theater majors and then six jocks from the soccer team who are seniors just doing a class to get the credits, right? And this guy walks out on stage in, a, in like this knitted vest that his wife made from this knitted rainbow vest and he has this long hair and he stands there, doesn't say anything, stands there until we all get quiet, like waits a really awkwardly long time. And then he just goes, either you will become, you will achieve the moment and become king of France or you won't and die. That is acting. Get on stage. And I was like, what are we doing here? And it was the most ridiculous like experience in my life. But at the same time, I absolutely loved it. And it wasn't it wasn't the acting and the being on stage. It was watching words on paper come alive mm. and seeing that process was just like lit something in me. And at the same time, this commercial real estate job that I had every reason to love, I was working with a friend of mine stuff was like soul crushing. I hated it. And I was like, this was my plan. What am I going to do now? And so I was having these two very different experiences and I'd always liked to write. I'd always enjoyed writing. Um, and as I was kind of having this, crisis of identity my senior year of college I decided listen I, I I really like the writing thing I have decided definitely commercial real estate is not for me and if I can make a living writing things that people perform that's what I want to do and so I started just devouring everything I could on screenwriting didn't know if I wanted to do features or tv yet um in fact initially when I moved down to LA I decided I wanted to do features and um that just you know projects just language language forever and ever and I had some friends that I had made down here who got into TV and I watched them write scripts and then produce them. And they got made like, you know, weeks later. And I was like, this is, that's what I need to be doing. And so that's when I decided to make the transition into TV. And I was fortunate enough to meet Marcus through uh, the final draft competition, actually. Oh. And um, 
he just lit my career on fire. I mean, it was, I had representation before I met Marcus that had a script in mind that wasn't really going anywhere. He wasn't doing anything with it. We just didn't jive. And this is something I'm sure we'll dovetail to, to the client uh, manager relationship you want to talk about later. But Marcus and I hit it off in a way that this previous manager that I had uh, and I just did not. And, you know, we saw very eye to eye creatively and uh, Marcus had a great vision for that project as well as just my career in general after a short conversation with me. And, um, you know, he, he was able to sort of get things started for me from there. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, I definitely want to talk about the development process because you've got a lot of things, you know, flying around and I think that's fantastic. Uh, but before we move to that, I definitely want to ask, so you got in touch or connected with Marcus through the final draft contents. So Marcus, you read his script, obviously you liked it or you would not have made that connection. What was it about JJ that convinced you to, because I'm sure you read a lot of scripts, some of them even good, right? Uh, the occasional one even good. When you get a good script, what is your process in terms of determining whether or not this client will be someone that you're interested in signing? Uh, it has to be more than just, do I like the person? There's got to be something else there, isn't there? Yeah, of course. Um, well, first of all, <clears throat> when I read a piece of material, I usually know by page two or three if I want to read further than that. Um, this now, after having been in this business for 22 years, there's a, there's a, uh, you've read so much, so you've sort of understand what it is that you're specifically looking for on the page. And either it's there or it's not. So what I'm specifically looking for is what I've come to describe as literary writers. Um, and what that means is just writers who have a way with words that are incredibly visual and evocative on the page that use few words to elicit emotion and setting the scene and getting me in there and really telling me a story that just plays out in front of my mind's eye. And that is what gets me going. So when I read J.J. script Shelter, first of all, the scripts you get to read in Final Draft, they don't have a name on them. Mm. They don't even have a, have a title page. It's just, you know, I, I guess you know the title, but um, so you, you, you're giving these scripts and you don't know if the writer's a team, it's a woman, it's a man, you have no idea. And so I started reading these scripts and page three, I was like, oh, wow, there's, there's really definitely something here. And just the opening of that show was such an incredible grabber. And the way the characters were drawn so clearly and succinctly and so quickly, and the way the story then was told throughout the rest of the pilot and how it set up the show was so well done and so professional that I just knew I had to meet this guy. Like, like I, I inhaled his script. And when that happens, you know you got something special. Because honestly, that just doesn't happen that much. Um, and the second part of it then is <clears throat> the personality needs to be there. So you send then these people into rooms and they have to go make friends. It's like sending a writer after a script has gone out and people want to sit down for generals. It's that sending a writer on like 40 first dates and they have to just make everybody fall in love with them. I mean, that's really what that's really what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. And when I met JJ and after our conversation and seeing how charismatic he is and how, how passionate he is about the material that he writes and the stories that he wants to tell, I knew here's a guy that 
has the things that you cannot teach. There's a lot of things that you can teach. There's a lot of things that you cannot teach as a representative. Mm. And he just had all the intangibles, all the things that you cannot teach. I knew he had. And so I was very excited, was hoping I would get him. Well, I was very, very excited to, to work with him. And I made that very clear in our meeting. And I'm very, very happy that it worked out the way the way it has. Um, but yeah, like, and, and by the way, what people are looking for, obviously, is very personal and very subjective. Um, but the kind of thing that I'm looking for, JJ just happened to have in spades. Um, and he continues to have to this day and, and, and more and more as time goes on. Mm-hmm. I did want to segue to JJ, but before I did, Marcus, when you say there are certain things that you were looking for and JJ had them, can you elaborate at all on some specifics of what that is in terms of personality, in terms of skills, in terms of worldview, in terms of background? What, what specifically struck you? In JJ, that well, obviously it starts on the page. Mm-hmm. So it's the it's the incredible characterizations that are so clear and so quickly drawn mm-hmm. that just pull you in right from the beginning of the of the story. The opening of the script that I read of his is just so explosive. It it pulls you right in and it establishes the world in a very very quick way, and you're just in the middle of the action right away. I just thought it was such a powerful way to open the television pilot so that was all that was all there then as the script went on all the dialogue just was incredibly sharp and authentic and all the characters spoke in their own voice and so that is something i feel like that is just something that personally i don't i don't think you can teach either Mm -hmm. somebody has an ear for dialogue and they understand how people talk and they understand how people talk differently and each character has to have their own voice, or they just don't understand that. And you and, and I've had the the I've had the situations where you, where you tell people that, and then you get the redraft, and it's the same problem. You you see this all the time that everybody talks in the same voice, including the prose in the script. So you know everybody t- talks like the writer, and mm-hmm. that just ends up being a problem because you have an indistinguishable mess of characters that all sound the same. Um, and that just makes it not as good of a, of a reading experience than seeing somebody creating different characters that all speak in their own voice um, and have, you know, their own characteristics and problems and uh, issues to have uh, throughout the show. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, personality-wise, you got to send these people in, into rooms because as a representative, my job is not to get some pe- to get people jobs. Like that, that is a a mm-hmm. misconception out there. That you know, writers think that they have representatives to get them jobs. That's not our job. Our job is to open the door so you can walk through and get yourself the job. So that is what our job is. We're door openers. Mm-hmm. So if if you cannot walk in, into that room and charm the pants of people, then we can open all the doors we want. If you can't close in the room, then mm-hmm. it's not going to lead anywhere. And that's where personality and just the charisma and enthusiasm for the subject matter comes in. Um, and and some people have that. And so that's definitely some, not something that you can teach. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've read scripts that were terrific. And then I would meet the writers. And then I was like 
you know, falling asleep during the meeting. And I was like, I cannot represent this person. Like, there's mm -hmm. no way I'm sending these people into general meetings because mm -hmm. they're not going to be able to make friends. And that's at least half, if not most of what this business is about, is an ability to forge relationships with executives in a very short period of time. Because at the end of the day, it's a little bit of a popularity contest. You, you want to people want to be in business with people they like and want to hang out with. And that's, you know, that goes for all kinds of relationships. You know, nobody wants to be in, in a relationship with someone that they don't like and don't want to hang out with. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's, it, this business is the exact same way. Mm -hmm. So the, the writers have to be part writer and part performer. Mm -hmm. As you go in and you pitch your, pitch your project, it's a performance. Um, I have clients that half act out what's happening in these scenes and they're like bouncing all over the place and they're off the wall and they're like talking to the camera like this, ah! yeah. and, you know, it, it's, it's, it's all about selling the project and, and bringing that fire and that, that enthusiasm. And some people have that and others just cannot muster it. And that's mm. going to be a very difficult time trying to sell a project that, that, that way. Mm -hmm. uh, now, JJ. When you were coming out of the final final big break and you were looking for your new representation because your old rep didn't really do very much for you, um, taking meetings with reps is sort of a twofold. Part of it is a test drive and part of it is a sales pitch, right? Because you, you need that sort of, do you like them and do they like you kind of thing, like, like a date, I guess. Uh, so because your previous rep was not very active, I'm sure you had things on a checklist of is Marcus the right one and why, right? So what did you go into the, to this meeting looking for to sort of differ differentiate Marcus from another manager like your previous one that isn't going to sure. do very much? And secondly, uh, assuming you started to get those things checked off, what is it that you prepared to go into it as your selling points like why should marcus represent you obviously he liked your writing or he would not have met you or did you just kind of go into it saying i'm just going to be me and if he likes me he likes me if he doesn't he doesn't so it's that, was, that was that was kind of my approach to address the second part first it was it was mm -hmm. more of you know i'm i'm going to be myself and there's no sense in not being yourself sure. like marcus said this is all a relationship and you're going to have to pretend to be somebody else the whole time it's never going to work mm -hmm. um and so i went into it very much this is me. I knew the type of stuff I wanted to do. And I wanted to have a conversation about what I wanted to do. Um, but honestly, the thing I was looking for was passion. Um, and Marcus brought it. I mean, I, I knew he, he read a script of mine that he liked. He read it via this competition. So it wasn't like he was doing another client of his a favor by reading a friend's script or something like that. He read a script through a competition, you know, didn't have to reach out and contact me. He clearly liked the script. But the moment we sat down and I, I heard the passion in his voice and, you know, he had, he had basically a game plan from moment one, when we sat down, he was like, look, I think this is the approach for you. This, this being your, your sample, basically now it'd be great to sell it, but nobody knows who you are. I don't think we're really going to be able to sell it, but this can get you into rooms. And, you know, he had a very clear path for me in terms of, you know, his strategy and he laid it out for me in that meeting. And mm -hmm. that was probably the thing. In, in addition to one, just really liking Marcus from the get-go and two, appreciating his passion. 
that fact that he came to the table with like a plan for me was huge. Um, and like, you know, like I, I mentioned, I had a, a rep previously who didn't really do much. And one of the things I always sort of joked about with my friends and my wife was that my, my previous rep, rep was very, very mellow mm. and everything was very mellow. And I couldn't imagine him talking to somebody about a project of mine and getting them excited because they, you'd probably be putting them to sleep and talking to Marcus, you're never going to fall asleep talking to Marcus, first of all. But second of all, like he clearly has this passion that you, when you want someone on your side and, you know, Marcus can, can comment on this as well, but I feel like a manager, particularly a manager, you, you need somebody who's a cheerleader. You need somebody who is really rooting for you and to go be that, that voice for you, uh, in the industry because no, he's got all the relationships. Marcus had all the relationships and he and I sat down. I didn't know anybody really in the industry. I hadn't really had any meetings with executives or anything. So he was then going to have to go speak to these people and convince them to meet this writer that nobody's ever heard of mm -hmm. and feeling that passion from him, being confident that, okay, this is a guy who can open those doors. Um, even just on passion alone, if, even if nobody likes his script, they'll probably meet with me because Marcus is, you know, uh, talking a big game about me. And so that gave me a lot of confidence in him, confidence in him. And honestly, before I even met with him, I remember telling my wife, like that was one of the big things I was looking for was somebody that I felt like could bring passion. Um, and then obviously having a plan from the get go was just really impressive to me and something I wasn't really expecting out of him. I was expecting it to be a little more of like a, just a meet and greet and like, mm. do we like each other kind of thing? But he came with a very clear plan and, and what he thought was the right path for me. Uh, and, and so I was, I was taken right away, but I don't think, I think we left that meeting basically was like, okay, we'll, we'll be in touch. I don't think I, I, I think Marcus said he wanted to represent me, but I don't think I necessarily committed in that meeting. Well, but what, I, what, I was what there. Was, yeah. You were, you were definitely at the meeting. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was there, like I wanted you to, to rep me, but I wasn't going to say it right then. I also wasn't going to say it right then because I've made the mistake in the past that I read one piece of material and signed the writer yeah. and then found out it was a one hit wonder. Um, I wanted to make sure that JJ was not a one hit wonder. So I wanted to read the other things that he also had, which he sent me another pilot of his and then he sent me a, a feature and I read those very, very quickly and was equally impressed. And then that's what sealed the deal for me. I was like, okay, this guy can replicate. He can continuously and consistently create exceptional work. This is the basis upon which you can build a career. Mm -hmm. Now, some managers I've, I've spoken to that we've had on say, all you need is one really great piece of material. And so, but you're saying, and what it makes sense that, well, you need to make sure they're not a one hit wonder, right? Um, so if they have one pilot, for example, but don't have a second pilot or a feature, but maybe have a short story or a play or something like that, is that usually enough in your mind? Or are you looking for two solid scripts of, of whatever, uh, genre medium? I should say. <clears throat> so, um, to be clear, I think the other managers are hundred percent right. Um, because in my experience, it's always been people can have a bunch of different scripts that they've written. Mm -hmm. and it's usually then the one that cuts through, right? That's like the one that that has a little bit more of that magic and it has a little bit more higher of a concept or whatever that thing is, or just the subject matter and the execution on the page just hits differently. So often you will have very, very talented people that have a body of work where one script just becomes the lead sample. 
mm-hmm. when I when I sign somebody who's new to the industry, also that doesn't happen much anymore because that's a lot of heavy lifting mm-hmm. uh, when you build somebody from the very beginning. But then I at least want to make sure that they can replicate and they can they can write consistently at a higher level so that you're not just stuck with the one thing and then nothing ever nothing else will ever come out of it mm-hmm. um if you have a great sample you can end up using that for years um i still use the sample that i signed him off of and we've been working together for over four years now mm-hmm. he's written many other scripts in the meantime granted all those were on assignment <laughs> and <laughs> And uh, there were, you know, many other cooks in the kitchen, as in the producers and the studio execs and networks execs and all and 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 all that. And of course, I don't want to take away from the contributions, but the pure, unadulterated JJ Bailey, I feel I got in that first script. And there are just elements to that script that I think are so powerful and just convincing in terms of visibility in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. If you're not into that script by page ten, you're just not reading it. And so, and so that's why I continue to use it. I use from the time to time some of the other projects that he's that he's done o- over the years as well. But if if I'm like if you want to read somebody that has you know a master's body of work and uh, is on an overall at Universal Television and all and, and all this stuff, but you want to read a sample, I think that's what I signed him off of called Shelter. It still stands the test of time and is still as powerful today as it was when I read it. Mm -hmm. the opposite of having one script and not a body of material is having too many scripts and what i mean by that is some newer writers put a list on their query of all the different scripts that they've worked on you know 14 different scripts that they have can marcus uh can you explain why this is a bad idea why they shouldn't give you a list in a query of all the scripts they've written in hopes that you'll find the one you like and that'll be the one you you read, and that'll be the one you sign them off of. Because nobody has the time to read fourteen log lines in one in one query. Um, we're all busy people, and I read still every query that comes in. I take a look at it. I check out the log line. If it's fourteen log lines, and this, and the query takes me six minutes to read, I just move on. This is a person who doesn't understand what their best sample is. Um, and you really have to put your best foot forward. It's got to be quick. It's got to be concise. It's got to be to the point. I got to have a reason to take a look at it. And if you can't make the decision of which one is your best script, then maybe give it to some people and get some opinions. You know, not all scripts are created equal and they're not all equally good. Mm-hmm. There's, there's going to be one that's going to rise to the top is probably the best sample out of all of them. And I would encourage people to focus on that. You can, of course, mention other things that you've written, but don't mention all of them. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, you know, I'm not going to be taking out 14 scripts from the same writer in like short order. That's just not how this business works. Um, and also what's problematic in when we're talking yeah. about all the scripts that we've written, often you see, oh, I have this horror movie and I also wrote this romantic comedy. And, oh, you want a romance? I got a romance. And here's this other thing. And it's just comes off a little bit like the guy with the trench coat on the on the corner of Hollywood and and and, and Sunset, who's like, "Do you got you, you want watches? I got watches. You want you want DVDs? I got I got DVDs." You gotta understand what it is that you're trying to do, and what you're trying to do 
got to be more specific than, oh, I'd like to be a writer in this business. Mm-hmm. You got to have written enough that you have sort of an idea of the thing that you're good at and capitalize on that. Lean into that. You can also like other things, as evidenced by so many writers who write the romantic, who, who had this one great idea about the about a romantic comedy and that wrote that. And it might actually be very, very good. But the problem with this business is that people love putting you in boxes. So when we take out a romantic comedy and it actually hits, in the best case scenario, you sell that romantic comedy and then people want to hear more romantic comedies ideas from you. When when you sit down with them in meetings, if they sit down with you and you start telling them about this, you know, horror gore fest that you also wrote, then they're going to like, what? You wrote this other fluffy romantic comedy thing why are you talking about rated R horror movies now? Like it doesn't, it doesn't compute. And you have to understand how to capitalize on incremental success, which is very difficult if you hit the reset button with every script that you mm-hmm. send to people. It's got a, the, the the plan. Ultimately, is of course to sell something, but that cannot be a business strategy because most of the time you will not sell something, and you got to ask yourself, what am I getting out of this? That's going to advance my career. That's why I always talk about incremental success. It's not about the ultimate success. Of course, it is about the ultimate success, but the ultimate success proves to be very elusive in this business. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand how to capitalize on incremental success. That means what do I get out of it short of selling this? And how does that still advance my career? And how can I build on top of that? And one thing that you don't want to be doing is confusing people if they like you for a certain thing and then you pitch them something completely different that does not mesh with what they liked you for. Mm-hmm. And because then again, you're hitting the reset button and it becomes very, very difficult to build fans and to also relate to people that you have, a, you have a specialty, you're good at something, you know, mm-hmm. um, that, that you say, JJ Abrams, you know what that is. You say, JJ Bailey, you know what that is. You know, you say Tia Fey, you know what her brand is. Like all these people have brands, and of course, you know, <clears throat> people say, oh, look at Ben Stiller. He's now doing, you know, he did Dan Mora and then he did Severance. And like, yeah, but you know what he also did? He worked in comedy for 25 years. Mm-hmm. There was no, oh, now I'm like, like year one. Oh, now I have this, you know, career as a comedian. Now I'm going to go and branch out and do like a dark drama brooding. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, like you got, you got to understand what it is that you're good at. You got to capitalize and double down on what that is. If you find success, double down. Don't take a left turn and leave town to comedy event. If you if you if you started planting a flag in drama town. Mm-hmm. So that's just that's just you know a word about too many scripts, too many different things all at once. They are inevitably not all going to be equally good. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Uh, and talk talking about the number of a body of work. JJ. So a lot of writers there, obviously you finish your first script as a writer, you're excited. You want to get it. Everyone, you want to get it out there. You want someone to read, you want someone to tell you how great you are. And that this is going to be the one that sells. But as we all know, it's often second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever script that finally you get to the point where somebody gives you recognition and, and says, this is actually good. Um, whether it was your first rep or, or, Marcus, at what point were you at when you signed with the meaning? What script number was it 
not what script do you have now like you have in your arsenal you know a dozen script at what point did you say this is good enough to send out like your third script first script even whatever um and at what point was it actually like when you sent it to marcus what number script was that that got you signed sure um so that was actually my third script and it was my first pilot that's pretty um, good and i had written well i had written two features previously mm-hmm. and you know the first one was after I wrote it, I heard that this was a classic thing of people who moved to LA and want to be writers. It was like a, you know, basically a, bio- a dramatized biography because mm. I thought my life was so interesting, you know, and wrote this thing and it was terrible. Um, but I learned the form and um, like I wrote my first script in, apologize, there's some leaf blowers outside. I don't know if that's loud on your end, but okay. Um, I wrote this, my first draft or my first script in word where I was like, I had another script and I was, I was looking at how far things were indented and tabbed over. And I was like literally tabbing over to write the dialogue and things. Um, and then after I wrote that, you know, being in LA, I had friends who had actually studied screenwriting and, mm-hmm. you know, at the USC and UCLA. And so I was able to get feedback initially off of that from those friends who had studied this and they were able to tell me, Hey, you can write like, this is wrong. You don't do it this way. Like that's just wrong formatting, whatever, but you can write. And that gave me confidence to then take into the second one and actually buy final draft and invest a little money in it. Um, and then uh, Shelter, yeah, was my first pilot that I wrote. And I had a little writer's group I was a part of. And I think that's so critical for writers, especially at the beginning, because you you don't want to be sending a script that hasn't been like road tested to a rep. You want to send the script when it's the best that you feel like you can get it. And so, you know, I workshopped this script with my friends in this group and um, probably went through, I don't know, maybe five drafts of that script before it was the one that I entered in, entered into the competition. Mm. Now, I, I did want to touch base on uh, development a little bit, uh, but I want to say for those of you in the live chat, if you have questions for Marcus and or JJ or some combination thereof, feel free to drop them in the chat and we'll get to them just as soon as we can. But speaking about development, I wanted to know from you guys, development often can, can take different paths, obviously. Uh, sometimes the writer, oftentimes the writer will come up with an idea or a number of ideas, pitch them to their rep and say, which one do you think, you know, there's a market there for, or which one do you like, which one are you passionate about? And then they'll kind of work their way down. Sometimes the manager will have, will say, I got a great piece of material. I, I optioned the rights to this. I think you'd be great. Let's work on it together. Um, so the first project that JJ sold I, uh, which uh, he's got so many on the list. So uh, you can let me know which, which one that is. Um, how, what was that process like for you guys? And, and, uh, and like who started it and how did it work its way through the writing process, the development process, you know, all that kind of stuff. Take it away. That was, that was Marcus's brilliant move. So um, one of the scripts I had sent to him mm-hmm in addition to shelter was a, was the second pilot I wrote, which was this very dark, like breaking bad, like tonally, it was kind of like breaking bad, this, this story. And Marcus was basically said, listen, you've been doing all these generals. They're going well. We're, we're heading into broadcast development season. Why don't you take that idea and redevelop it as a broadcast pitch? Because I don't think that script is going to sell. Let's take the concept. Cause you like the concept. It was called vanishing point. And he said, 
you know, let's redo it as a broadcast show. And so I thought that was great. And I think I went off and kind of came up with a pitch and sent it to Marcus and you gave me notes about it, I think. And then we took it out and sure enough, you know, we got a, we got a couple of people interested in it, I think. And then we ended up going with uh, Chris Morgan's production company. And that was sort of my introduction to Universal because then they had their deal over there and we sold it there. But it was it was definitely a, a conversation and strategy that Marcus brought to the table of, you know, the, that incremental success that he was talking about. Mm. We did the we did the general meetings first. He was getting, I guess, reports back that those were going well and people would love to hear what, what I wanted to do next. And instead of sending them another spec script, he had the brilliant idea of, well, let's redevelop it. The time is right. You just met with these people. They want to hear something else. Redevelop it as a broadcast show. Take it out as a pitch. And uh, it worked. No, he'd never pitched anything before. Sure. So, so uh, but I knew he was great. And I knew he was talented. So for me, honestly, it was, it was just going to be intended as a learning experience mm. and a teaching moment. You know, because at some point as a writer, you're going to have to pitch whatever, like that's, that becomes your life. You, you, you're, you're constantly pitching, you're pitching your ideas to somebody, you're pitching a show that you've come up with, you're pitching a take on something that somebody wants to hear your version of how you would do it. You're pitching yourself at a cocktail party. You're always pitching. Mm -hmm. And I, from the response I'd gotten from the exec that he was meeting with like three, four, five meetings in, and he had like. 30 plus general meetings of the first round of submissions that I've made with Shelter, um, I saw an opportunity because he took out, we took out the script in April and he was start, He was meeting around in May and broadcast season, you know, this is pre-pandemic, was still sort of like on an actual schedule. Um, and uh, I was like, look, if we can get a, if we can get a broadcast pitch Put together the timing is just right because you're rolling into these meetings and you can bring up all in all these meetings you can talk about this other idea you have and how you're developing it as a broadcast pitch so let's just set up use those meetings as a trojan horse to have them hear your next project because they're already interested in you as a writer otherwise otherwise they wouldn't be sitting down with you mm -hmm. so why not double down and bring them an idea that they might be interested in if they're doing broadcast development now the 30 plus producers you sat down with i think we ended up getting 16 or 18 producer pitches uh because the rest wasn't interested in doing broadcast development because such a grind mm -hmm. um and we went through through all those and we had a we had a, a small number of people who actually would show general uh, genuine interest and wanted to move forward and we had to make a choice and we ended up picking chris morgan and the rest is history and then uh uh, Ainsley Davis, incredibly talented exec at Chris Morgan, took the picture on under her, her wing and did the did the large shave, shaving of the rough edges and um and molded molded the pitch a, li a little bit more in uh, UTV's image and then and then took it on in there and they ended up buying it, which uh was a very very uh, a pleasant surprise. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I will say too, that the pitch that we went out with and the pitch that ended up selling, same concept, same, like same content, but like Marcus said, with Ainsley and, and Chris Morgan, we completely restructured the thing. Hmm. And that process is still what I do today. Like the, the process that they laid out for me, the sort of the way that they like to pitch is still my approach now. Cause it, it 
I learned so much from, from Ainsley and from Chris and from doing that and then having to pitch that project so many times, like I mm-hmm. said, like 16 or 18 times. I don't remember what it was initially learning sort of where people fall off, where they stop listening, where they do it. And, and then reformatting it to lean into the strengths was, was a huge learning experience. But that was the thing about development that I, I didn't quite realize is that the pitch is never done because every time you pitch it, there's something that didn't quite land and so you go back and fix it. And so which it was just constantly evolving until we finally sold the thing. There's a lot about that story that you guys talked about that I actually love. And one being uh, that Marcus, you said that you, you thought sending JJ out on this was a great learning experience because for a, a, a writer who has never staffed, it's not an upper level who has not sold anything at that point to sell something original is incredibly difficult, right? I mean, it's it's like winning the lottery almost, but knowing, you know, they have to be gifted and talented too. So it's weird. Um, and then on, on the other hand, JJ going out on these pitch meetings, you know, that Marcus set up, that would be a great learning experience. And hey, you know, it's also, you know, uh, development time. So maybe, 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 fingers crossed. And then you hit it out of the park and sell something. I mean, that's one of those things that that doesn't happen, but it's it's serendipitous in that your relationship kind of played into it. You guys both played on each other's strengths. You guys both, uh, and and so many managers nowadays seem to be manager producers, producer being first, right? They want to sell something with you, which obviously is a goal for you know writers and managers, manager producers anyway. But that's that's it. Write something. I'll shotgun it out. We'll sell it. And if it doesn't, then give me something else. And if you don't sell something within the first couple of tries, then all right, fine, um, you know, go away. But Marcus wanted to you to learn and to grow. And to me, that's fantastic. And JJ, you hit it out of the park on your first go around, which is crazy, but awesome at the same time. So I, anyway, I just thought that that was a fantastic story that I think a lot of newer writers go, oh yeah, that makes sense. You go out and sell it and, you know, just send them on some pitch meetings and they'll sell it. That's, that's, yeah, that's about right. For a first time writer who's never sold anything, that doesn't happen. That's a unique situation that Marcus kind of set up and one that JJ took advantage of. To, uh, and, and altering your pitches. That's, that's something that's, I think, really astute and super smart. I mean, it's a, it's a moving target. Pitches, yeah. I mean, this is true for all my writers that I send out on, on pitches. They come back with thoughts and little you know, you observe the response in the room or mm-hmm. on the Zoom. Most everything is on Zoom now, mm-hmm. uh, which is m- much more difficult. As people were so averse pre-pandemic to doing any Zoom meetings at all. The writers had to live in LA and had their schlep all over town to go pitch something. Yep. Now nobody needs to ever leave the, li- the, the living room with you. You can still make a really good living um, for talking into a computer screen. <laughs> so it's things have evolved. Things have evolved a little bit, but it is absolutely true that the first pitch you take out and the last pitch take out will still be the same in concept and content but the way it is delivered and some of the moments that 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 you hit that kind of thing will evolve over time also with the questions that you're getting some questions you're getting after the pitch are things that you can head off and Mm. build into the pitch so that you won't get the question and you can omit things from the pitch in order to get questions that you want to get that you know you have the answers to so, so it's a it's a it's a very subtle manipulation of the audience in what you present and what you don't present in the result and the effect that you want to get. 
that's a really so, yeah. fun part of the process actually that I've, I've, I've so enjoyed especially the omitting certain things to elicit very specific questions you know because you only have a certain amount of time in a mm -hmm. pitch and if you go too long it's it, you know everyone gets bored it's hard to listen for that long it's hard to pay attention that long but if somebody asks you a question they're going to be engaged and so if there's certain details about the story or certain details about where it goes that you know someone's going to need to know you can intentionally leave that out to save space for maybe going a little bit deeper in character or mm -hmm. a little bit deeper with the plot, knowing that they're going to want that piece and they're going to ask about it, but you have it locked and loaded because you you initially it was in the pitch. You've removed it and now you're over here and you're just waiting for them to ask that question. And it, it's a fun part of the process to sort of like pull things out, move it around and try to get the best pitch out of it. Mm -hmm. um, let's see here. Brian Thomas Neal asks, outside of his client's work, what scripts writers does Marcus recommend that convey images to his mind's eye? And what books helped JJ cross over from uh, business economics to hone his craft in screenwriting? I guess we'll start with Marcus and then to JJ. Um, well, all these are client scripts. <laughs> So um, they're not really scripts that I can, you can just like, you know, download mm. off the internet. But um, one of my clients that that really, a couple of people <clears throat> that do this very well, I mean, really all my clients do this really, really well. Otherwise I wouldn't be working with them. They just do it to, 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 different, to different degrees and also different ways into uh, putting those words on the, on the, on the page. Uh, one of my clients is uh, Rosalind Ross. She has incredibly evocative visual writing. There's a script that you can probably find out there called Barbarian um, <clears throat> that, that has a Margot Robbie attached to star and Miguel Sopatrick attached to direct. It's like a female-driven uh, Braveheart based on an original story. She, she does it uh, very, very well. My client John Hensley does this. JJ, of course, does this. Um, <clears throat> it's not something that I would have seen in like an established household name screenwriter, you know, it's not like, oh yeah, I want to rep 15 Aaron Sorkins. It's just, it's something, it's something that you just gravitate towards after reading thousands of scripts because you just tend to gravitate towards the same thing over and over and over again. You just like to see it in different ways. Mm -hmm. And that's how you end up with, with a client list of creative people that you enjoy working with because you love their voice, but they're all very different, but they do the same thing very well in their, in their own individual ways. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so th that, you know, that's, that's really what, what, what I can only say. It's not, it's not something that, that I was looking to, to find more of when I was reading, you know, whatever screenwriters work, it was just something that I found myself being drawn to as I was, reading potential clients over the years mm -hmm. um jj what yeah, oh sorry i was sorry. just gonna ask you a question again but if you know what the question is so about the books right yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um you know in, initially it was it wasn't necessarily screenwriting books like i can think of uh stephen king on writing is a mm. fantastic book just about the life of a writer the life of writing that i found so uh inspiring um, Anne Lamott has a book called Bird by Bird, I think, that I read that was really good as well. Um, those, that was more, you know, geared towards novel writing and prose and stuff, but I knew I wanted to, to screenwrite. So I, I read a book about, or from, from William Goldman, and I can't remember the title offhand, uh, but I know I had a book 
from from him and then i read the classics like i read story from mckee and mm-hmm. um uh save the cat uh you know those things and the more i read about screenwriting specifically the more i realized that there's just beyond sort of formatting and maybe even in formatting there's no one way to do it mm-hmm. and and the best uh piece of advice i can't remember where it came from but it was basically like say the most you can with as little as you can right and that became sort of my mantra as i wrote and it was how to make an evocative image with two words like mm-hmm. how can you tell a story as succinctly and powerfully as possible uh and then you know the 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 formatting of a script you know with your slug lines and your your scene description your dialogue and all that sure that you got to learn how to do that but it's writing like so you can read any book about writing that you find inspiring and anything that sort of motivates you to to find power in the written word mm-hmm. and then you you find ways to to put it into script format um but those are the books that i found sort of most useful for me Great. And was the uh, Goldman what adventures in the screen trade? Yes. Okay. Yes. It's a great Thank book. You. Yeah. No, yes. it's a great book. Um, let's hear Todd Klinger says, uh, turns out my second feature got an eight on the blacklist. I've been told by a produced screenwriter that I'm writing on a pro level. Uh, am I supposed to sit on it or query? Basically, uh, I'm going to say, Marcus, what would you do? And then JJ, if that was you starting out, what would you do? Well, you should query if you feel like you're ready to jump into this business. Um, because one thing that has to be made really, really clear is that once you get into this business, your competition is not all the other guys and girls and teams that are starting out. Your competition is everyone, mm-hmm. including Aaron Sorkin, right? So <clears throat> are you are you ready to make you make your name it's going to be it's going to be a slog you know the the success that jj has is really i mean it's it, that's not the norm right it's the it's the exception that proves the rule and the rule really is is that you have to put the time into it uh nobody shows up and you know sells their first project and all of a sudden sells the second project and then sells the fourth project and sells the fourth project and then here's an overall deal and then that's just not that's just not how it usually goes. There's going to be a chapter in my in my book for screenwriters definitely about that <laughs> and how that's not the norm. Um, but it really comes down to, do you have anything else to back that up? Because again, incremental success. Chances are, script's not going to sell. Then what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. What are the other ideas? What are the other scripts that you've written? Are they, are they sort of in the same no, they don't need to be in the in the in the same genre, but but do are they in the same mold of of the first one? Um, that would be obvious that you would just double down. It's like okay, this one got me in the door. Now I have another great idea that I can bring home. Um, the, the, those are the questions that I would ask before going out and querying. And it in the blacklist is great, sure, and that's something that of course I would talk about in the query itself. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's not just about that one script. It's about how you're going to back that up because you've got to have something else. You don't want to have that one script go out and, you know, people want to sit down with you and then, then you start thinking about other ideas. Then it's sort of too late. You got to come armed with more ideas so that you can capitalize on opportunities that might present themselves. 
Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that from my perspective as well. I think, um, you know, if this, I don't know if this is the only script you have. Uh, if it is, I would definitely have another script ready. I mean, just going back to what Marcus said, like having having something else to show that you can replicate this because nobody wants to rep a one-hit wonder. You know, nobody nobody wants to have that one great script, maybe even have it sell, but then not have a career. And if you want to be a writer as a career, right, you need to be able to, reproduce this time and time again um there's a there's a writer named uh, brian copelman i think who does mm -hmm. morning pages and it's something i've taken on from him and it's basically just every morning it's idea generation so i get up before anybody else house is quiet just idea generation because as a writer your job is to have ideas i mean yeah you need to execute and make a, a great script out of it but you need to constantly have that next idea i mean I, I have a whiteboard in my office that has, you know, a list of all the projects I'm working on right now, but there's also four others on there right now that I haven't gotten to because I know at some point I'm going to need those, or at some point I'm going to be in a meeting and someone's going to talk about something they're looking for. And I can say, Oh, Hey, I've got this idea and we can start discussing it. And I think if you've got a script that, you know, you feel like is really strong, even if you don't have that second script, put together a list of ideas so that if you do get a meeting off that query, uh, you have more to talk about than just that script. Um, because again, if you want this to be your career, you need more than one, one script to make a career out of it. Mm -hmm. um, let's see here. Helen Gauren. Gauren, hopefully I pronounced your name right, Helen. Um, I have three feature assignments before I can start my new spec, quote, much, or uh, in parentheses, much interest. Uh, my agents say managers won't be interested in me because they want something to produce. Better to wait. Is this common? Well, I can't speak for the other managers, uh, but 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 there is a tendency, let's just say, uh, in town that um, managers tend to want to be producers more than they want to be managers. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, in that sense, the agents are right. Um, Heroes and Villains is a company that's management first. Uh, we do do produce. We do have that completely separate from our management arm. And um, we try to not cross the streams, so to say, <clears throat> so to speak. Um, <clears throat> we do do produce with the clients from time to time uh, when, when it makes sense, but it's not an automatic thing. Uh, many other companies will be automatically attached to produce whatever their clients are doing. And uh, we just don't do that because oftentimes we find it to be a hindrance to, the, to, to getting the project sold we're getting the project made. So, um, you know, not all managers are, are created equal. So, so not, not all managers would, would take the same approach. Right. Um, we are at the one hour mark. I promised you this would be about an hour. Do you have time to continue for a few more minutes or do you have hard outs? I'm, I'm happy to, to continue for a little bit or I'm happy to cut you free and thank you for your time. So I, I don't want to monopolize your time for a today. little bit. I, I need to be done by about 4.15. Okay. But uh, yeah, I don't know about you, Marcus. Yeah, I can do like, you know, five, 10 minutes. Five, 10 minutes. Okay. So I guess um, the last thing maybe we could cover is going forward. Like you have a bunch of stuff in development, sold, this and that. Like for a writer coming in, or maybe we can even jump back to when you first started. What is your 
the first stages of starting a writer's career using JJ sort of as that example, Marcus, you have a plan and it will, I'm sure it will differ based on the writers, how much material they have, how, what they're interested in. But generally speaking, when you create a game plan, what is that involved? And then JJ as a writer, when you first started out, what did you expect out of the, the working relationship in terms of the development process and, and where you saw it going? And then we can end you on this. First, I know you JJ? Have to go. What was that? You wanna you wanna jump in, JJ? Sure. Um, what did I expect out of the development process with Marcus? Yeah. Did, you sure. know, when you first signed, what did, what was your expectation going in? So this is the, my career trajectory for the next six months to a year. Sure. Um, well, Marcus made it very clear and mm -hmm. uh, what the game plan was, and I and I so appreciated that because the world of a career, the world of writing, was so nebulous to me. I mean, I I was the guy sitting at Starbucks writing by myself for years, right? Um, I didn't know what it meant to actually do this professionally. And uh, Marcus had a game plan for development, you know, take this idea, turn it into a pitch, take it out, we'll try to sell it. Incremental success. That's what we were always talking about. And my expectation in terms of development with Marcus, I didn't really have a lot in terms of expectations of, of how we were going to develop together. Mm -hmm. I appreciated his notes and I think they were really good. But honestly, I wanted somebody that I could just ask questions to, somebody who had more knowledge than I had. And somebody who would, uh, you know, open those doors, like he said, I mean, that was really, I mean, an amazing thing for me to be, you know, I, I was trying to make it in this career for a long time before Marcus was able to open all those doors. Um, and so, um, yeah, in terms of development, I think it was mostly just give me confidence is kind of what I, I wanted out of Marcus was, you know, make sure I'm going into these rooms feeling like I can do this job because I was very nervous. I was really, uh, you know, I tried to do this for a very long time and it wasn't working. And suddenly Marcus was opening these doors and I was like, am I really ready for this? Is this going to go well? And Marcus was always that cheerleader for me. And I think giving me that confidence was probably the, the, the best part about it for me. Mm -hmm. So in terms of strategy and trying to break out in, in, in a new writer, is yeah. that what the question is? Yeah. <clears throat> well, the strategy by and large really is applicable to probably most every new writer you're trying to introduce into the town because the only way to really do that is by sending a piece of material. Mm -hmm. uh, for JJ, it was the, the pilot shelter that I had read. Um, and I sent that to 40-ish television producers and was, you know, essentially said, here's a guy that I just signed out of this contest and I think he's fantastic and here's the script and here's what it's about and love for you to take a look. And so people did and responded to the writing and then you just have to be confident in the material that you're sending out. Um, there's always the ones that are like, meh. And then, and then I go, didn't read it. Didn't read it. Mm -hmm. There's no way you go meh after reading that. It's just not a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, you find the ones that are just very busy. And then at some point, they just want to get you off the phone sheet. So they're like, yeah, I didn't respond. I'm like, okay. Uh, moving on, <laughs> moving on. But that's, I mean, my plan and my goal is to just build the groundswell of fandom, just build fans, mm -hmm. get the writer into as many rooms as possible. The the point beyond selling, selling the first script you throw into the marketplace, again, incremental success. What do I want out of it? I want you to get as many general meetings out of this process as possible. I want you to go into as many rooms and make as many friends as you can so that 
when you have your next piece of material, there's a receptive audience already upon which we can build. We send it outside of that core group of fans. Um, maybe they have an idea that they think is right for you. Maybe you have another idea that you pitch them and they're like, oh my God, we're looking for exactly like this. We'd love to do this with you. There's a number of different opportunities that could come from that, but it's gotta be getting into the room. You gotta get it, I mean, virtually or in person, you gotta get FaceTime with these execs. And the only way to do that is confidently going to the town with a piece of material that you believe in. And you, I mean, you ask them people for their time. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not the only exec running around with one hours in feature scripts that each take an hour or two hours to read. What you're, what you're essentially asking people is, hey, take this hour away from your family and friends and kids and read this instead. And I promise it's worth your while. You want to be sure it's worth your while. Because mm -hmm. if, if it's not worth your while consistently, they just won't return your phone calls. Um, and that's not something that you can have if you're trying to build a business. So I, <clears throat> I'm, always, I'm always of the mind that I want to take out a piece of material when I'm confident it's just incredible. It'll get the meetings. People will respond to this. There's reasons why people should respond to this. And then just, you know, throw it out into the marketplace and just see where the chips may fall. Mm -hmm. And that then it's but then it's out of out of your hands. You you did your job. You got it out into the world, and people will either love it or they don't, or they're lukewarm on it or whatever, or they've done something similar so they can't do anything with this. It's just you know the, it's a lot of the same answers every time. Um, but it, that's really the first step is just to get you an introduction to the marketplace and make as many fans as possible, get as much face time as possible as possible with execs so that you can create opportunities or capitalize on opportunities that are being brought to you mm -hmm. um, that you're just not going to have unless you get some face time with, with execs and, and, and producers. Right. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you, JJ, for coming on, sharing your time with us. Uh, we could probably go on, but I know you guys have other things going on. We do appreciate your time today. Um, Marcus, it's always great to talk to you. Um, and it's great to have you back on. Uh, JJ, I would love to hear more about the hunting party and all we've got going on at some point very soon. If you guys have time individually together, you guys are not side me swin, so I'm happy to talk to you guys separately and I'm happy to have you guys on. Um, thank you so much. Um, Marcus is on Twitter at mgorg, G-O-E-R-G. Um, and JJ, are you on Twitter? I know you've got a Twitter. Not really. Right? I've, got, I've got kind of a defunct account. <laughs> at JJ Bailey 22 I think, right? Is that it? I don't I think remember. so. That's probably it. Um, uh, so As you can tell, he's, he's tweeting prolifically every day. Oh, yeah. that, that's the, he's the Aaron Judge. Of, of of screenwriters right every at bat is a home run right that's what it seems you're you're ruining it for all these other writers oh you know yeah, he sold four things already he, you know i could be just like that it, yeah that's not normal so congratulations you on your you success could be. don't give up on yourself you could be you could you could be right you could be you know pretty soon it's gonna be like i want to be just like jj bailey right um but they need a marcus uh, Gork to do that, so it's everyone needs a Marcus, man. Everyone needs a Marcus. There's only it's one a team though. Effort. So. It's a team yeah. effort. But congratulations on both of your guys' success, and thank you guys thank for coming you. on. And hopefully, yeah, we can thank chat you so much for having soon. us. Yeah, hopefully yeah. we can chat again soon. Happy to do Definitely. it. Thank you guys.